We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of things when it comes to what we put into our bodies. But you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration for what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor's memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fauna. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. A rave of radishes, a squash shindig, a banana bash, a celery celebration, or a spinach soiree. I can almost guarantee you've never been to this kind of event before. Well, here's your official invitation to join me and today's guests, Executive Chef Hadar Cohen Aviram and Senior Associate Product Manager Carrie Rock to our first ever plant-based party. All right, welcome to the two of our guests today. Thank you guys for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with us about some plant-based initiatives we're taking here. So why don't we start like we always do, have you guys introduce yourself. Uh, Carrie, you've done this before, so why don't you go ahead and show Hadar how, the, how it goes. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you came here. Hi, everyone. My name is Carrie Rock, and I am a Senior Associate Product Manager at McCormick. I work in trends and insights every day. I specialize in macro trends and consumer insights. I have a passion for plant-based eating as it's something that I have had the luxury of studying while at McCormick. As a flexitarian myself, I really enjoy having the ability to switch between eating plant-based and really fitting it into my schedule in the ways that just feel right to me. And Carrie, just, just a one quick second, flexitarian? That's something new for me. What is what is that? I know you, you sort of touched on it. Can you can you go into that for me? Sure. So a flexitarian is someone who eats plant-based one day and the next day they may choose to go back to some sort of animal product. It is usually somebody who leans into more plant-based eating and they will have more days that are plant-based than not, but it can really vary depending on the person. And that's what I like about the diet is that you have a lot of control about how you're eating plant-based. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Chef Hadar, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. So I'm Hadar. I'm the executive chef for the U.S. Consumer, and I consider myself a serious plant-forward explorer. I oversee all of the culinary development happening in the U.S., which means everything from participating in product strategy ideation, developing recipe for packaging, and generally supporting culinary content for our different online platforms. I also lead the culinary aspect of McCormick's annual flavor forecast report to identify how we eat, cook, and flavor our foods in upcoming years, which I think is very relevant. And prior to McCormick, I headed the culinary innovation for Mealco, which is a startup in the ghost kitchen space in New York City and consulted various other startups. For instance, Fork and Good, which is in the cultivated meat sector, which I also think it's kind of like adjusting to the conversation. And so really, really excited to be here with you guys to talk about plant-based. So cool. I also love the the names, the extra names that people like put into this, you know, you know, Fork and Good, and I, that, I always get a kick out of that. So let's talk about why, why we're here. You know, this, this is nothing new, but it's, it's definitely something to celebrate, something to talk about. So why are we having a plant-based party? We are having a plant-based party because plant-based eating is something to celebrate. And we are continuing to see 
more and more interest in plant-based eating. I think it's so cool to see plant-based eating evolve and how it's becoming a part of everyday life. You can go to a party these days and you could walk into the room and go to the food and beverage table, which I know is exactly what I do when I go into a party. And when you get to that table, all those items could theoretically be plant-based and you might not even realize it because plant-based is becoming so ingrained in our uh, just everyday eating habits that consumers are picking up the products that taste good. And while a lot of consumers are specifically looking for that plant-based label, a lot of consumers are choosing those options because they're tasty and bringing them home and including them in their everyday life and in their celebrations. I think there's also a lot that goes into the psychology of eating. Us humans just tend to enjoy color in our food and tend to, you know, our eyes just go towards the, the, the things that read color, read fresh, read healthy. And so many times it's just the, you know, the natural choice just to go for that, you know, lovely crudite or that really vivid or, you know, delicious looking tomato salad or something that really pops. So I think there's, there's a lot that has to do with our, you know, maybe even subconscious kind of choices that we make. Uh, and so I think really people are trying to basically get more plants into their diet. And it's really the way we talk about it that makes the difference. But I think generally speaking, a lot of people are already consuming a lot of plant-based food, whether they know it or not. So the old adage of eating with your eyes is uh, still very true, uh, even to this day. So why don't we discuss what is plant-based? I know that this is, it's kind of a, it's kind of a term that can have different definitions to many different people. It's a lot like, you know, regulatory rules. So what, what is plant-based for our purposes today? So when we're talking plant-based, it is actually fascinating to see all the different definitions out there for plant-based eating. And when you ask consumers what is plant-based, there's almost like this sliding scale. Uh, you've got consumers on one end who truly feel like plant-based eating means vegan or vegetarian, and that there's a very strict set of rules that go along with plant-based eating. On the other end of the spectrum, you have these consumers that kind of reject all rules of plant-based eating. And it's more about the intention and just letting the plant be the star of the show. Something for that group of consumers, like a black bean taco with squash, if you put cheese on that taco or bacon bits on the taco, the group that is kind of more in that realm of just letting the plant be the star of the show would still consider that to be plant-based. And we found that out through consumer research or on the other end, if you're talking more about that side of the scale that considers plant-based to be more of a vegan or vegetarian definition, they probably wouldn't consider that to be plant-based. So that's my long way of saying that it depends on who you ask what exactly is plant-based. So it's kind of subjective depending on who you're asking. Interesting. Interesting. Because if you ask, I mean, honestly, if you ask me, I would be like plant-based. I would lean towards the vegetarian. You know, all the plant is the star of the show. That's it. Like... And everything on top of that would not be meat-based whatsoever. But how do we in the industry work with these, you know, di differing definitions? 
I would say when we're talking about something like a regulatory plant-based item, you're probably going to stay away from things like meat just because we want to make sure that nobody is accidentally eating things that they shouldn't be eating. We don't want a consumer that is vegan or vegetarian and has a more strict definition of plant-based to consume something that doesn't meet their definition. So when we're working with plant-based, we do typically go with the most strict definition just to make sure that we are meeting uh, the expectations of all consumers. Because ultimately for that group of consumers that do feel like it's okay to include small amounts of dairy or animal meat, we don't want to polarize those that have the opposite opinion and the other group is okay if those items are missing. So on the other end of the spectrum here, so Hadar, you actually mentioned that you were plant forward or or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you lean more towards the, you know, the plant needs to be the base and that's it? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is very interesting because I live these different definitions every day and trying to come up with, you know, recipes that will resonate with our entire consumer base. And it's really interesting how, you know, again, we define these things because in my mind, I would love to create a very open definition to assist people to see themselves in everything that we have and everything that, you know, that is out there so that they don't limit themselves and that they keep an open mind. So I call myself a plant forward explorer because at home, my household is plant based most of the time. My husband is strictly vegan and I don't have any animal based proteins to cook with at home. I do have some eggs and yogurt for my kids for every once in a while. But I do eat mostly plant-based at home. At work, on the other on the other hand, we have so many recipes that we do on a daily basis that are poultry and beef and pork and you know have dairy and have eggs. So I still find myself, though me myself specifically, really looking for the side dishes or those really bright flavors that tend to come from all things plant-based. Now there is a definition about alternative proteins and plant-based. So just to mention that these are different things, right? The alternative proteins are maybe something that comes to mimic those protein-based, like animal-based proteins, while plant-based might be around the entire diet, right? So these are these are definitions that um, definitely have some room to play in. And I think that people should definitely take a look and see how they would like to incorporate more vegetables and plant-based proteins into their diet. Now, plant-based proteins can be alternative proteins like, you know, the the beyond meats of the world or alternative chicken or alternative eggs, but it can also be whole foods like legumes or tofu or saitan. So these are all different things that we can incorporate into our daily lives that, you know, will help us get to that, you know, place if we choose to incorporate more of those into our diet. Now, the best way to introduce new things in in any situation is a little at a time. So I think small replacements are usually what I shoot for. So for example, I make enchiladas with zucchinis now. Um, I take out the flour tortilla or the corn tortilla, whichever you prefer. And I use, you know, I use enchilada, or excuse me, I use uh, zucchini shavings. So, I mean, what other little substitutions can we make to to kind of start incorporating this plant-based diet into our our you know our repertoire that's an excellent question and i do that all the time and every day 
And I like to call it comfort with a side of innovation, just <laughs> because it's so much easier to, you know, get those little substitutions and try to work those into our lives and, and see how we react to it, whether we like it or not. The risk level is not too high. It's not like you're going to spoil your whole dinner prep because I know that's frustrating. And that's like, that's one of the main reasons why people don't want to venture to this. They don't know what the outcome will taste like. And they don't want to jeopardize dinner, which they worked on for 30 minutes or, or you know, 30 minutes is a long time. Uh, <laughs> so it is like those risk-free kind of things that we want to to try and, and, and incorporate and, and empower people to, to try. So one of my favorite tricks is to actually swap out cream for cashew cream. And that's something easy. You don't have to get in the store. Like it's not refrigerated. You can just get cashews and they last for a very long time in your pantry. And whenever you need to to have cream in like a, you know, a rosé sauce or something like a, an Alfredo sauce, you just swap it out. It is so easy. You just take two to one ratio cashews to water. So for say one cup of cashews with half a, a cup of water. You put it in a blender, blend it until it's very smooth, and that's it. You have cashew cream. And now what you do is you start with a quarter cup of that cream into your sauce, and it will thick it up almost instantly. It's like magic. And then you keep adding a little water until you get to the consistency that you you desire for that sauce. And it's it's amazing. It has those um a little bit of a dairy note, a little bit of umami. And what's beautiful about cashews as well is that they have that fat content. And if I know something about plants is that they're very flavorful, but they do need a little bit of help from that fat because that's a, a vehicle for flavor. And so when you add that little bit of, of cashew, you introduce that little bit of fat, it just blooms all of the flavor instantly in your sauce. And it's just beautiful. Even my, my kids that so that's how i know it's foolproof i'm over here in my head like celebrating you know for you you know giving your kids this this stuff i my daughter asked for green eggs and ham recently and <laughs> i think you know where i'm going with this but i was like okay well you know ham no problem you know green eggs you know do i go for the food coloring or do i get spinach you know what kind of outcome will that have you know and i i tried the spinach and i couldn't believe it she was like daddy i've had two helpings i almost i i I literally stood up and did a happy dance, mostly for her benefit. So she'd eat them again, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. So Hadar, you told us a little bit of your substitution, little substitution that you've done that you prefer, that you like. Carrie, what do you substitute in your, your day-to-day? For sure. So I think that there are so many ways to substitute, but I think that there are two ways that we see consumers really getting into the trial of plant-based. And I think that that is a really important part of the plant-based eating journey is just getting people to try it. And I tend to like those initial trial foods quite a bit. The first one is those items that are hybrid. Um, That would be something like Purdue Chicken Plus Nuggets, where it is half chicken and it is half cauliflower, uh, like a veggie puree. And I think that's a great entry into the space, especially if you're talking about switching kids over into eating more vegetables or being a little bit more in the plant-based space because it has something that they're familiar with. Or I also really like 
the different offerings that are available at a lot of quick service restaurants right now. Um, if you go to any quick service restaurant, you are going to find plant-based burgers, plant-based chicken nuggets, all of those wonderful foods. And those are personally my favorite swap because I'm already at the places that I'm already usually going to if I need a quick bite. And it's fantastic to be able to just order something that is familiar, I, is going to taste great. And it's a great way to trial something if you don't know if you're going to like it. There's a new brand of chicken, and I say chicken with uh, with a C-H uh, apostrophe N here. <laughs> um, if you want to try those new chicken nuggets um, that are plant-based, uh, and it's by this new brand, uh, you can go and, and get it from a quick service restaurant before having to buy a whole bag of them to eat at home. Awesome. I, I got to tell you, I feel like in, in the past few years, like they've really come a long way in making those flavors really pop, really taste good. Those chicken, like I buy the chicken patties that you're talking about and substitute those quite frequently. Do you guys feel like there was, it, it was a little harder for plants to kind of get the beef flavor down? Or was that just, you know, is that maybe that's my taste buds? If not, I mean, please disagree with me. That's a good question. I think there's there's been lots of different types and we've seen a surge in like so many alternative proteins uh, and their different approaches to how to do it, you know, their, their right way, right? I think we're in a good place. I think we have some really good substitutions. If you are looking for that flavor and texture within something that's not based on animal-based protein. Whether it's identical, I don't think so. Do we want to get there? I think there's room for that. I also think there's room for other really, really good things that might not be those chicken nuggets. Maybe it's cauliflower nuggets. Maybe it's something that had legumes in it. I think there's just the open-mindedness of people now and being very focused on getting more plants on the plate will probably show us or introduce a few more options that might not even be there right now that will have those characteristics that people are looking for. To talk about the flavor of beef versus chicken, I think it's really important for us to first break down what actually are we talking about when we talk about the taste of plant-based alternatives. And when we're talking about the taste, we're not just talking about the physical beefy or chickeny taste, we're talking about the texture because that also impacts this. We're talking about how well it actually emulates like the tearing or the cutting or the bleeding of these different animal-based proteins. And we're talking about how it's actually prepared in a traditional sense. With beef products, we very frequently would see something like a grilled flavor or a charred flavor. Whereas compared to chicken, you're more frequently going to have like that fried flavor or some sort of breading. And that all has a direct impact on which of those is going to necessarily taste the most familiar to you is likely how you're preparing your traditional meat products and which of those matches the best. As well as in general, we've seen a little bit more success with the plant-based chicken being a little bit closer because most consumers cook chicken in the same way. It's usually cooked to the same degree of, of doneness and it has a very similar texture. But if we're talking about something like a plant-based burger or a plant-based steak, 
those are, consumers don't cook those in the same way. If you ask consumer A, they're going to cook it medium and consumer B is going to cook it well done, which makes it so much harder to actually replicate that because there's so many more preferences as well as so many more layered flavor with the options to char and grill. And with these poultry options, we also have the benefit of holiday flavors that give that familiarity. If you're doing a plant-based turkey, all you have to do is add in those Thanksgiving profiles like sage, thyme, and some warm spices. And you're probably going to say, yeah, that tastes like turkey because it's reminding you of Thanksgiving, whereas we don't always have that same association with plant-based beef. Yeah. And, and exactly what you're saying, Carrie, I mean, when you start to cook a, a turkey or a chicken, like especially with a turkey, the first thing you go for is the mirepoix. You know, you're, you're going for that, the trifecta of the carrots and the celery and the onions, you know, to get that nice flavor in there, you know, and if you can duplicate that, more is the power to you. I feel like when we're talking about flavor substitutions or replacement, the go-to for beef was always like mushrooms. And the go-to for chicken was like chickpeas or now I'm seeing like cauliflower everywhere. Like, you know, buffalo cauliflower, you know, fried buffalo cauliflower as your like your chicken nuggets substitution, which I think is incredible. All of those I've eaten, all of those I've enjoyed. I think I'd like to go back a little bit and, and talk more recipes. So Hadar, if, if you could give me some more, or some more tips, I mean, some more recipes that you do with your family that are plant-based, that, that'd be very, very interesting for me. Yeah, of course. And then to your point too, Corey, about cauliflower specifically, I think that what gives you that that wanting more, outside of just, you know, obviously the execution, which has to be flavorful and delicious, it has that structure, that bite that you're looking for. Not, of course, very different than chicken wing, for instance, but it has that resistance. It has that kind of side too. Um, so I would I would dare call it an alternative and not a substitution because it, it again it's like what are you looking for and I think and just to go sidetrack for a second I think that going all the way back to to the introduction of this call uh, of this podcast I think that flavor and memory and what our mind is expecting of these what we want them to be is the key to whether or not we're going to accept these from a flavor standpoint. Because it's a whole body experience. And so you kind of, you have all of your memories, all of your expectations kind of like tied to that little bite that you're going to take out of the, the, the nugget or the, the impossible burger or whatever it is that you're trying right now. And in many times for the burger, it could be like all of those things that accompany it that makes that much more real and that much more relevant. And, you know, it could be those chicken nuggets with all of the sides that make it kind of like bring up those memories that make it real for you. So I think in the recipes that I'm making, it's usually not trying to substitute. It's trying to introduce something that is celebrating those plants, those legumes, those alternatives that could be as delicious as, as the real deal, right? So I do have kids and they're all very young. And so it's all about the marketing, right? It's all about these carrots will give you supervision or like, you know, um, talking about these are amazing chocolate balls, which are really dates and, and cocoa powder and maybe some, some graham crackers in them, which are a plant-based version of them. But, you know, those are things that always come in handy to be able to get them to, to taste something. Sometimes it's all about how do you describe it? How much, how, again, the eye eats first so how it's served and, Above all, it's flavor because if it's not there, no one's gonna 
come back for it. Some key ingredients that I think you should have in your pantry if you're going to start exploring are a few ingredients that might be adding a layer of umami because that's usually what plants kind of need. They need a little bit of a little bit of fat and a little bit of umami to get them to where you want it to be from like a star of the show Things like white miso paste. White miso paste is not as strong as red miso and it can lend itself really nicely to everything from vinaigrette to even rubbing tofu steaks with it and like uh, a binding between that and maybe breadcrumbs, uh, well-seasoned breadcrumbs, I should say, liquid smoke, which is just something of an elusive kind of flavor that even with regular proteins, you want to have it, but with things like mushrooms, it just take it to the, to the next level and, and really makes that taste meaty. And not in a beef way, but in a really mushroomy, umami kind of way that, that really makes your mouth water. I made mushroom bacon last year with just a little bit of, it was basically shiitake mushrooms, some canola oil, salt and pepper, a little bit of sugar, and liquid smoke, and it just, my entire household just devoured it. I made like a, a vegan carbonara um, with these bacon bits and it was just extraordinary. Things like maybe subbing regular Parmesan cheese for almond Parmesan. I'm not going to tell you to get some maybe, uh, let's say, exotic ingredients here. It's basically almond meal, some nutritional yeast, garlic and onion powder. That's it. And it, it just delivers on the, the, the flavor that you really want to get. Again, it's not Parmesan cheese. It's an alternative, but it's a really delicious and flavorful alternative. So these kind of things, those little touches can really take something and make it special and really, you know, get it to where, where it's, it's craveable, which is where I usually want to take things. And then I also took upon me to, to maybe get some substitution to our recipes here in the Cormac. So what I did was a lot of our top performing recipes are, you know, your traditional items that you, you kind of want to make those staples. So I kind of took them and saw how can I introduce trend base to these recipes, these very ubiquitous, very loved recipes in a way that will make everybody feel welcome. So for instance, I took things like for baking when I know, you know, people are sometimes struggling with how do I make this plant base? How do I maybe take out the butter and put something else in? How do I take eggs out? Eggs are a big issue. So it really depends on what role the egg is having in that specific recipe, if it's a leavener or if it's a binding agent. And for gingerbread men, for instance, that was really, really nice and easy because for butter, I just swapped out for plant-based butter. And then for the egg, since I didn't need the leavener, I just swapped out one egg for flex seed egg, so flex egg. And in taste tests that we ran here, that version actually was preferred over the original that had an egg because the, the egg also contributes a layer of flavor. So the flaxseed egg actually did not have that and the, the, and the flavors of the spices really came to be front and center. There was no difference to how the dough baked. There was no difference to the crisp of the cookie. It was just an amazing swap. And so these are kind of like little tricks that I tried to add not instead of the recipe, but as a line on the bottom to suggest, hey, if you want to try this, if you want to take this and make it plant-based or vegan-friendly, 
you can definitely do this. And I think what's so cool about being in the flavor industry is that we can really blend all of these fantastic culinary tips and tricks with some of the amazing tools that a lot of us in the flavor industry have in our toolkits, like reaction flavors and flavor modifications to take those items to the next level and make a recipe truly feel like a replication of the the traditional form of it and make consumers say, wow, I had no idea that was plant-based. So with all these different, you know, changes and subs and additions, asterisks and recipes, do you guys find these products easy to find? And, you know, are there enough of these options available for people out there? I think you can probably find an alternative in your everyday grocery store. It's rethinking your recipes versus, you know, anything else. If you're trying to to take out the main protein, which is meat, and substitute it with something else, you're probably going to find quite a few really good options out there. And that's one way to go about it. If you want to try and, and, and maybe introduce some new family favorite, that's maybe taking one step back. And before you go to the grocery store, plan what recipe you want to make that maybe has a few other substitutions or a few other, a few other stars to that specific recipe. So whether it's mushroom and something like a mushroom bolognese, which is delicious, or things like, let's say for taco Tuesday, maybe you want to make instead of your ground beef in your taco, maybe you want to make it based on, you know, like um, kidney beans and you just get like a can of kidney beans. And it's amazing how you just swap in one for the other and it's all that flavor, all of that deliciousness. It falls apart. It's really flavorful. You still get all of the flavor if you're getting, you know, that seasoning packet and you just swap out the main protein and delivers on that protein as long as you, if you consume rice alongside that bean, you have to get both of them to get a complete protein. That's maybe a topic for, um, uh, that's like a sidebar, a little sidebar to, to get a, the benefit of a complete protein. You have to have a legume alongside with rice or bread or something like that because it has together, it completes a, a one complete protein that our bodies can use. While in animal-based protein, it just, it's there, but it is animal-based. And I, th- I think for me, when I go to the grocery store, I really rely on a product saying plant-based on it. If I am walking down the grocery store aisle, I really, if I am wanting to eat plant-based, I want the items to actually say that they're plant-based. And I think that this is where it gets a little bit confusing. And every time I talk about plant-based eating, I always get the question, well, isn't that food already plant-based when talking about things like tomato sauce or even Italian dressing or something like pizza? And the answer is yes, it definitely can be plant-based and we can still label it as plant-based because it helps consumers to understand that what they are picking up does fall within the parameters of plant-based eating. Because we see, especially with consumers who are on the beginning of their journey in plant-based eating, that they get a little bit hyper fixated on the rules of plant-based eating and wanting to make sure that they are eating plant-based. So having those labels is very helpful. It's especially helpful when we start talking about products that can or cannot be plant-based. For example, I was at the store last week. I picked up a a can of potato soup. 
I love potato soup. I, I think it's fantastic, but I personally don't eat white meat. And so I was looking at the can and it didn't say on the front whether it was plant-based or not. So I turn it around and the first ingredient is chicken stock. So I put that back on the shelf. But if there was a, another potato soup option that had already said it was plant-based on the front, even though they had no intention of adding chicken stock to that other version anyway, it would have helped me pick up that version first. And I wouldn't have spent the time looking at something that I knew I wasn't going to purchase. Carrie, let's talk more about that plant again about that plant-based definition. Now, has that changed over the years? Are there like generational things that go into plant-based? Yes, definitely. So when we talk about plant-based eating, that term plant-based has not always been around, but we can really look at the reasons why consumers have chosen to eat some sort of plant-based, vegetarian, vegan. Overall, we're talking about this in a way of reducing the consumption of animal product, uh, kind of depending on whatever term you, you want to kind of use in this. Um, it's really interesting to actually look at the history of all of the, the different generations and the reasons why they predominantly choose to eat plant-based, because it can really help us predict where this movement's going. If we look at the beginning, as the story goes, back in the World War I, World War II era, we saw one of the major causes of consumers choosing to eat plant-based was actually because they wanted to be patriotic. They said, yes, I am going to choose to eat more fruits and vegetables that I grow in my own garden so that I can save the meat for the troops. They don't particularly, they don't want to consume the, the animal products because they want to save the, the protein for uh, the troops that were fighting in the war. And it was seen as patriotic to grow a garden in your backyard and make your own plant-based recipes like veggie loaf. That is actually what the era the veggie loaf comes from. But we saw a shift in this and that the main reason consumers eat plant-based today is not patriotism. Because in the 1970s, we saw a shift from consumers choosing to eat plant-based because of patriotism to this shift of counterculture and almost an act of rebellion to eat plant-based. Consumers wanted to save the planet and fight against the man. And really, and, and <laughs> really, uh, this was a good way for them to do that as the importance of, of sustainability was really starting to become uh, much more important and consumers were wanting to eat plant-based as a, as a part of that movement. And that really leads us into today, which is a phase that we call modernity and mindfulness, where it's a little bit less about, you know, counterculture, fighting against any necessary establishment, but more about just being mindful of how you're eating and its effect on the planet and your own body. And that's been really cool to see how much consumers really are, are taking charge of their own eating and their own path within that. And we've seen this uh, continue to evolve. I mean, there's going to be another stage here in the future. And as I've had the opportunity to look at all the wonderful trends within plant-based, it's really looking like it's going to be a phase that is characterized by social influence and how consumers are influencing each other to eat more plant-based because it's cool. It's everywhere. You are able to go to your favorite fast food restaurant and get plant-based chicken nuggets. I mean, that's a whole new thing that we didn't see even five years ago that you could, could do that. And that's really had a big impact on how consumers are eating plant-based is because we're seeing more consumers 
trying plant-based because it's trendy. And that is potentially going to be one of the biggest causes of why consumers are eating plant-based in the future. We've talked a lot about the stars of the show, so to speak. But, you know, for example, substituting bacon for, or mushrooms for bacon and substituting different things or, or trying new things. What about those side dishes or those things that we're putting on other meals, condiments, things like that? Where, where do we fall on that? I always say as plant-based uh, substitutes continue to rise and we see all these wonderful plant-based alternatives, plant-based alternatives need plant-based condiments. It's not enough for consumers to just have that plant-based chicken nugget or that plant-based burger when their condiments are not plant-based. And so we've seen this rise of the plant-based condiment to go along with that. It's things that are as easy and exciting as uh, taking ranch and making that plant-based by substituting in like oat milk and making a, a super beautiful oat milk ranch with the, that still ranch profile but without getting rid of uh, the condiment that consumers love. And is this the kind of thing where people come to you and say, um, it's ketchup, it already is plant-based? 100%. I always get people that say, isn't ketchup already plant-based? And you're right. But there are things you can do to things like ketchup that can make them feel a little bit more inclusive of the plant-based space or to make it even better because we can always improve upon the, the classics. You can either add an extra serving of vegetables to your ketchup, and that helps especially those plant-based eaters who are the moms with picky kids and they're just trying to sneak in those extra vegetables. You can add protein to things like ketchup because a lot of plant-based eaters struggle with getting enough protein in their diet. But the most common thing we see with plant-based condiments is a bold flavor profile. Adding in global or spicy profiles really helps to tune up that condiment and make it more powerful so that it covers off notes that might be present in the plant-based meat alternative better. So taking that ketchup and making it a curry ketchup or taking the ketchup and making it spicy with like a habanero or just a chipotle and just making it have that bolder flavor profile can actually do a lot to make a plant-based dish taste even better. So it sounds like very, very tasty um, substitutions or, or additions. To that point, there's a lot that you can do to create your own plant-based condiments at home. And that can range from an alternative, right? So if we're talking about ranch, it's, you can swap out the regular mayo for plant-based mayos, who I think are really there from a flavor standpoint. And, you know, you just add in the, the, the real flavor to it to really make it that ranch flavor. You could add dill wheat. It can be the 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 dry version. It can be the the herb itself, and something as simple as onion powder and garlic powder, a little apple cider apple cider vinegar, and some salt. And there you have it. You have your own plant based ranch sauce or ranch dip that that you can go with it. You can do something as flavorful as tahini sauce, and that just mixing raw tahini with some lemon some salt and some water and there you have it something that might not be an alternative but that's something that's not a substitution it is an alternative a very flavorful alternative which is not a hundred percent like you know the, the sauce that you maybe used to dip in it but it's something that you know you can pack it with all these flavors again and, and take it whatever 
whatever profile you're you're you really want to take it in and we know that the mediterranean kind of cuisine is really blooming everywhere so that's really there in that you know very natural kind of condiment that that's halfway there you just have to take it all away and so really taking these your let's say your favorite flavor profile and maybe having one or two that you know that you can master can really get you there so again the ketchup right off the the shelf right maybe you know um doctor it up to be what you want it to be then you have the ranch that maybe you need to work on a little bit but it can stay for like a good week in your fridge and then something like tahini which is again like shelf stable you just have to add these few ingredients and you know it again like it can stay over uh in your fridge for a few days if you add something like franks to it or something spicy you can even make it into something else so there's Lots and lots of options, um, some more involved, some a little less, but vegan condiments or plant-based condiments are, are a real thing, and it's so easy to get onto your plate. And something I love about just the idea of all of these options with plant-based condiments is that so many flavors are just naturally plant-based. When you're working on the bench, you can really feel free to explore and, and play because a lot of flavors just naturally are plant-based in the same way that we have a lot of inherently plant-based products. There are a lot of inherently plant-based flavors, which makes it really easy to make these bold, fun, full-flavored condiments that can really add a lot of fun to the dinner table. Not to mention, it's always that topic at the table of like, hey, you'll never guess what's in that. You know, I don't know about you guys, but that's that's huge for, for my family and myself and be like, hey, guess how I made this or guess why that tastes the way it does. You know, that we love doing that kind of stuff. So we're at the part in the podcast where we ask for your takeaways. So what I need from you guys is maybe one, two, if you're feeling ambitious, three things that we want to leave for our listeners. So go ahead, take a minute to think and just pop them right off when when you think of them. The first thing is that Plant-based is exciting and it is something to celebrate. Plant-based eating is a party and everyone's invited, whether they're vegan, vegetarian, or still exploring. And that when we're talking about plant-based, we're talking about everyone and that things that are plant-based are still accessible for those that are not normal plant-based eaters. And that when you're developing, really try to think about the full audience rather than that kind of stereotypical plant-based consumer, because ultimately everyone's moving in the direction of eating more plant-based. I would say let yourself explore. Plant-based is, is here. It's probably already on your plate uh, more than you think. And so, you know, start with something small. Start, again, with comfort, with a side of innovation. Let yourself change one thing, try it on, see if it fits, and then move on and, and, and try something else. And, you know, in no time, you'll have a menu of a rotating family favorite that you can then, you know, kind of take back to the dinner table. I would say don't be afraid to be bold. Plant-based needs bold flavor in order to help cover up off notes. So don't be afraid to, to really go for it. And you can always tone back if it's too much. Um, but you'd be surprised how much a bold flavor can help with development. I would also say, I will add a little tip. So look for or educate yourself on some vegetables who have naturally occurring glutamate, which means they already possess that power to become the star of the show without a lot of effort. And that's just 
something that you can take and add a little flavor to and a few ingredients and you'd be surprised at, at the outcome. And these things are tomatoes, mushrooms, onions, things like that, that can really, uh, they have the potential to be those stars. And it's just a matter of putting your chef hat on and maybe exploring a few things. Now, for you listeners that are at the end of the podcast here, I don't usually forget this, but I totally forgot this. So thanks to Carrie for reminding me how we always ask a few little off-the-cuff questions here, ones that we part, didn't know Corey. of. <laughs> so my, my first question is for our meat eaters out there. This has been a very obviously veggie-centric podcast that we've done today. What meat, if you if you've eaten meat your entire life and you've cut it out now for whatever reason, what meat do you miss? Is there, is there a flavor profile that you, that you miss having now that you've either gone completely plant-based or is there one you just won't give up? I no longer eat chicken in any capacity. Um, that is one of the meats that I have entirely removed from my diet, although I do still eat some red meats. Um, so I do miss chicken quite a bit. Uh, there are a couple of fast food restaurants that really sing to my heart every time I drive by and I wish that it was still something that I could incorporate into my diet, but that that would definitely be mine is chicken. But there are a lot of really great substitutes now, so I can only miss it with so much. Well, I haven't had chicken for a while, and I have to admit, a few months ago, I did taste something in the, in the kitchen because I had to taste test it, and the texture was actually, it was surprising how my body was like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> But I would say I miss, I would miss burgers a lot. The experience that I associate with having burgers is a very social one. And so the memories that are built into my craving of a burger, it's usually, it, 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 that's what it's rooted in. So that's something I do miss. But luckily, we can recreate those occasions and, and make new memories. I, I totally hear you on the memory portion of this. If I had to go the opposite of that question and say the flavor profile that I'm always looking for, it's shelled unsalted peanuts. And that's mostly because it reminds me of base, Red Sox baseball games with my father, which, you know, 100% memory related. You know, everybody else is like, why do you, they have no flavor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, it's, it's just me. It's just me. So. And Carrie, when you mentioned about like driving by those restaurants, I can just picture like your music video. It's raining outside while you're driving <laughs> by with your face out the window kind of thing. You know, just sad music playing in the background um, in my head. Anyways, so next question is, why do we want to do this? Why do we want to go plant-based? What, what's your reasoning for going plant-based in your own lives? I consider myself to be a trendy trier. I like eating plant-based because honestly, it's trendy. And I think it's okay to admit that. I don't think that there always has to be some really deep reason why I'm choosing to eat plant-based, but I like plant-based substitutes because they taste good and because it's fun. I like going and trying the, the newest item that's come out. And a lot of the companies that are making plant-based alternatives right now are constantly coming out with new things. And I think that's so exciting to go and try them. I will say I've got a little bit of kind of the health reasons in the background, but definitely one of the, the biggest reasons for me in terms of eating plant-based is because I just love the trends around it and want to be a part of it. I think that I just naturally find myself 
looking at those menu items that have more vegetables and then I find myself attracted more to the dishes that have more bold flavors that come from plants usually. So it was maybe a little more natural for me to go that way. It's not like I don't eat meat, period. I do. During my my daily job, I I definitely eat one, you know, um, uh, a steak here, like a, a chicken there every once in a while. But I always and have always enjoyed plants more. So it's it maybe a, a preference too. And I think there's something, once you have something that's really good and you understand it's plant-based, it's like a aha moment. It's like, wow, I can get that from plants. And once you, again, strip it from the definition of plant-based and give it something a little more like the sexy thing that it is, it's food, it's so radiant, it's so... You know, it's so delicious, mouth-watering. Once you dress it in that and take off the other thing, it's so much easier. I still dream about some plant-based mushrooms I got in the culinary kitchens. And I'm, <laughs> I know I can never have them again since they're not on the market, but they do still haunt my dreams. <laughs> I love the responses, you guys. These are great. I, I absolutely agree 100% with the tasteful trender, trender trendy, tasteful person. I, if honestly, I'm, I'm always looking, I'm always looking and it's not for me. It's well, it's partially for me, but it's, it's mostly for my family. I, I want them to avoid some of the health issues that have plagued my genetics or, you know, my family's genetics, whatever it is. And this is, this is a good way to do it. And it's an easy way to do it. So that's awesome. But thank you so much both for your responses. That's it for our Flavor University podcast. I'm Corey Doucette, and I'd like to thank our special guest, Hadar Cohen, Aviram, and of course, Kerry Rock. Thanks for listening. And until next time, the flavor of McCormick Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it.